Let's take a few minutes and see what the Bible, the book written by the Holy Spirit, has to say about His power, the history of His relationships with men, and the danger we stand in of losing Him, and the consequences it would have in our life. And we'll quickly end with some exhortations the Bible has about keeping Him and having more. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, it says the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters in the work of creation. In Revelation chapter 22, the last few verses of the Bible, it says the Spirit and the bride say, come. That's the first couple verses and that's the last couple verses and the Spirit of God is active in both. He came temporarily on men in the Old Testament for various specific causes. Look at Numbers chapter 24, and you'll see the Spirit of God come upon a reprobate. Just because a man is able to prophesy doesn't mean he's a child of God. Because a man's able to do miracles doesn't mean he's a child of God. Because he's able to preach the truth doesn't mean he's a child of God. Judas was able to preach the truth and perform miracles, and he wasn't a child of God. And neither was Balaam. But in in Numbers chapter 24... We read in verse 1, when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he went not, as at other times, to seek for enchantment, but he set his face toward the wilderness. And Balaam lifted up his eyes, and he saw Israel abiding in his tents according to their tribes, and the Spirit of God came upon him. This is an example. The reason I pull this one is simply for you to see that God can put his Spirit upon anyone. That doesn't make them a child of God. That wasn't the comforting ministry of the Holy Spirit. That was just to make Balaam say what God wanted him to say. And what he had to say was, let me die the death of the righteous. There's a scepter and a star that's going to come out of Judah that's going to reign over Moab, the ones that had hired him to prophesy against Israel. It was wonderful prophecy in favor of God's people. Look at Judges chapter 3. Judges chapter 3. We want to look at the history and the power together here of what the power of the Holy Spirit can do in a person's life. This is Othniel, Caleb's nephew. And it says in Judges 3.10, And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel, and went out to war. And the Lord delivered Chushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and his hand prevailed against Chushan Rishathaim in battle. The, the ver- the, what I want you to get from a verse like this is what gave Othniel the ability to judge and what gave Othniel the ability to wage war and to wage war successfully against a king that had come a great distance against Israel. And it was the Spirit of God coming upon him. And the book of Judges has many references to these facts. If you look in the Bible, you'll see the Spirit of God moving upon the face of the waters in Genesis chapter 1. Then you won't read much about the Spirit of God. You'll see a Spirit upon Moses that he transferred some of to Joshua, you'll see Bezalel being given the Spirit of God in order to construct all the elements of tabernacle worship of the Old Testament. And then you get into the book of Judges, and you see a number of occurrences. Look at chapter 6. In Judges chapter 6, we had a rather timid man, in, in, in a way. His name was Gideon. His name was Jerob Baal, after he tore down the altar of Baal. But he wanted reassurances from the Lord that he should go into battle against the Midianites who had come against Israel with a host 
that is described as the sand which is by the seashore. And in each of these cases, these are simple Bible story lessons from the history book we call the Old Testament. But the purpose we go over some of them is for you to lay hold of the fact that if that man could be given courage to do what he did, which is far greater than anything I face in my life, surely I can be courageous in the little things I face in my life. That's why we look at these. Just briefly. This is Gideon. The Lord told Gideon, go fight Midian. Well, Lord, I'm going to leave a little fleece out tonight. And if you'll make the fleece wet and the ground around it dry, I'll know that you really want me to go fight the Midianites. So the next morning, the fleece is soaking wet. He was able to wring a cup of water out of it. And the ground around it was completely dry. Gideon said, I'm still not sure. So tonight I want the fleece dry and the ground around it soaked. So in the morning, the ground around it was soaked and the fleece wasn't dry. I mean, the fleece was dry. And so the Lord had to go through these processes with Gideon to get him courageous enough to take on the Midianites. Don't think too lowly of him, and I don't want to speak too lowly of him, because he's in Hebrews chapter 11. Do you know why he's in Hebrews chapter 11? Because let's face the truth. Our faith is a whole lot like Gideon's. Is that really what you want me to do, Lord? Are you sure? Are you sure? You know what the Lord did to a man who shows shaky faith? You do not want it to happen to you. The Lord will cut your legs off so he can do a real miracle. So that you won't think you're doing any of it in your strength. Remember? A whole army gathered himself to Gideon. And the Lord told Gideon, Tell the army that anyone that's afraid and doesn't really want to go to battle because they love their wife too much and they don't want to have a funeral with them in the box, tell them they can go home. Do you know how many were left? 10,000. Oh, there's, there's a host facing him. He's outnumbered. We don't know how. It's just the sandwiches by the seashore. Let's say he's outnumbered now, you know, 20 to 1. There's a 200,000 host of Midianites against his 10,000. The army's just getting whittled down for Gideon. Then Gideon was told by the Lord, have these guys all come down to the river and drink, and let's see how they drink, and I only want these certain ones to stay with you in battle. 9,700 were kicked out of the army. And he's down to 300. Then he says, you can sheathe your swords, because I want you to have trumpets and torches to go into battle. 300 of you. But the Lord gave him that dream of the Midianites to encourage him. This is all in the Bible for your encouragement. Because when the Lord says to do something, He's going to be with you. And He's going to be with you by the power of the Holy Ghost. Look at Judges chapter 6 and verse 33. Judges 6.33 Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the children of the east were gathered together and went over and pitched in the valley of Jezreel. Now it's battle time. Judges 6.33 But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, and Abiezer was gathered after him. The Lord made Gideon ready to wage war against the Midianites. We want to see the powerful changes that occur in men's lives when they follow the Lord. The Lord gives them his presence for strength. When we use the word comfort, the word comfort means with fortification, or to strengthen, or to encourage someone. When the Holy Spirit is called the Comforter, that is not an effeminate title. That is a powerful title. It's with fortification or with strength to encourage and to help. 
to provide power to be able to accomplish something. And that's what it means when it says that the Holy Spirit is our comforter and he gives us comfort. He gave Gideon these things. Look at 1129. And the outcast Jephthah was given the Holy Spirit for him to do his task. You say, well, I'm not very important. I come from a lowly family. Well, Jephthah didn't have a family. He was thrown out. He was the product of his father visiting a prostitute. He was a bastard. His other brothers, his half-brothers, the ones that had a father and a mother, kicked him out of the house. But the Lord chose him, and he took that man and made him great. Judges chapter 11, verse 34. Oh, it's not 1134, it's 1129. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed over Gilead and Manasseh, and passed over Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah of Gilead he passed over unto the children of Ammon. What gave this man, who hadn't been brought up with any encouragement in his life, to have the courage to go face the Ammonites? The Spirit of God came upon him. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your weakness. It's not a function of your intellect. It's a function of His Spirit. Not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. And so Jephthah becomes the hero of Israel by the power of the Spirit of God. When we come to chapter 14, of course, we're going to run into a strong man. And the Holy Spirit is given for strength. Have you seen some of those verses in Ephesians chapter 6 and Ephesians chapter 3? That we might be strengthened with all might in our inner man? So when we read about the strongest man in the Bible, Samson, we're going to find him being moved by the Spirit of God on a number of occasions. And the purpose for that is to know that strength comes from the Lord. When you think about Samson, there is no reason to believe that he looked like the Hulk. He didn't look like Lou Ferrigno. Lou Ferrigno is just a little guy with a little bigger muscles than the next guy in the street that, that was the Hulk when that little program was on television. There's no reason he looked like a bodybuilder. Who needs their puffed up muscles from steroids and too many reps at too late of a weight? Most of them can't lift very much anyway that are bodybuilders. They can't even touch a power lifter, but they're all on steroids. Samson didn't need to look like that because what he did was not by what he, by being a gym rat. What he did was by the power of the Holy Spirit. So don't imagine in your mind that, that Samson had to be this big hulking guy because it wasn't by biceps, forceps, triceps, or any other seps that he was able to do what he did. He did it by the power of the Holy Spirit. He might have been a skinny little guy that weightlifters call a pencil neck. See, when you wear a little, when you wear a little collar, you're a pencil neck. Because the guy who's lifted weights and is ready to play football doesn't have much of a neck. His shoulders grow into his ears. Because he's got big traps. And you know, these are all the words that men use, but that's not what was necessary. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you something. You know, the NFL draft took place yesterday. All these teams with all these millions invest. And they sit at their boards and they pick the best athletes that they possibly can. And those best athletes were picked from a unique event that takes place called the NFL Combine, where all the very best college players go and get tested in front of scouts in speed, agility, explosive power, and strength. You know, agility. They do a shuttle run. You you run 20 yards and... Touch the ground, run back, touch the ground, run back, touch the ground, run back, and you get measured. Let's talk about agility. How do you catch 300 foxes? 
If you, do you know anything about foxes? They're crafty little animals. They don't like to come out in, a, in the daytime. And they're very quick. But Samson caught 300 of them, gathered them together, took them two, two at a time, tied their tails together, and put a firebrand in those tails to burn up the corn of the Philistines. Now that's agility. I think Samson, in the shuttle run at the NFL Combine in Indianapolis, could do okay. think he could do okay. He wouldn't waste his time with a 225-pound bench press. That would just be a joke. Because he took the gates of a city with their posts and put them on his shoulder and carried them to a hilltop. Samson. But look what it says about him. And this is interesting language. Judges 14 and verse 6. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him and he rent him. This is a lion that came out roaring against him. As he would have rent a kid. He doesn't mean a child that wasn't behaving. He means a goat. And the, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he rent him as he would have rent a kid, and he had nothing in his hands. He took on a lion with his bare hands, but he told not his father or his mother what he had done. Verse 19, same chapter. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon, one of the five capital cities of the Philistines, and slew thirty men of them, and took their spoil, and gave change of garments unto them which expounded the riddle. And you need to know the Bible story to fully understand the verse. And his anger was kindled, and he went up to his father's house. These events that took place in Solomon's life, sometimes it was his foolishness that the Lord used to get him angry so that he would go do something terrible against the Philistines. But it would be by the power of the Spirit of God that would come upon him. And there's other references as well. The point being, the strongest man in the Bible. So when you're lacking strength in your life for some task that God's given you, or that you can read that you ought to do, God is able to give you the strength to do it. You don't have to rely on natural means. You need the Lord to bless you by His Spirit. Now, when you know that He expects you to use certain natural means, you use them, and He blesses. I mean, Samson did pick up the city gates. They didn't go to the mountaintop by themselves. He picked them up because the Lord gave them the strength. And we have to pick ourselves up each day and be the husbands and the fathers and the wives and the mothers and the brothers and sisters and employees and masters and church members and neighbors and citizens and everything else that we ought to be. But the Lord will give us the strength to do it well and to do it very well. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 10. This I've already mentioned to you. In the first sermon, but I want to show it to you in print. Just a, just a reference or two of it. First Samuel chapter 10, it's about Saul of the tribe of Benjamin that became Israel's first king. Samuel prophesied of what would take place to Saul in verse 6 of first Samuel 10. And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with them, and shalt be turned into another man. Now, I I am not going to tell you from the Bible that you can become another man as drastically as King Saul became another man, but you can become another man by the power of the Holy Spirit. Those of you who know about the the Spirit's presence in your life know that you are a different man from when you didn't have the Spirit of God in your life. I know that. You should know that. If you don't know about that, you may never have had the Spirit of God in your life. But notice the change that took place, he shall be turned into another man. Saul was timid. 
Saul wasn't raised well. He didn't go to West Point. He chased asses for his daddy. But the Lord made him another man and gave him strength by the Spirit of God. Right there. Look also at verse 10. This was a prophecy that I just read to you in verse 6, but in verse 10, And when they came thither to the hill, behold, a company of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. Then let's go over to 11 in verse 6. This is when the Ammonites came up and threatened Israel. Here's what they said. Verse 2, Nahash the Ammonite answered them, On this condition will I make a covenant with you. See, the Ammonites came up and Israel said, we'll make a covenant with you. Just don't, we don't want to go to war and have you burn our houses down and take our wives. We'll make a covenant. What do you want from us? What kind of tribute money do you want? And Nahash the Ammonite said, on this condition will I make a covenant with you, that I may thrust out all your right eyes and lay it for a reproach upon all Israel. All I want is your right eyeballs. Well, that wasn't very nice. And so that message came to Saul, who had been... You know, just an ordinary king so far, but he's now faced with his first big conflict. And every one of you parents, like Chris Carnell back there, there's going to be conflicts that are going to arise in your life. But no conflict is greater than the power that is within you, if the Spirit of God is within you. And you should always remember that. Because look what it says, verse 6, And the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard those tidings, and his anger was kindled greatly. Notice a couple of things. What changed Saul from a timid man who, who was afraid to even be seen in a public ceremony to a man who was willing to lead an army against men that talked like this? It was the Spirit of God. The second thing I want you to notice is it made him very angry. Anger is not always wrong. When that anger is against the enemies of God, it's a very good and right thing. And that ang- his anger was kindled greatly by the Spirit of God. And he chopped up that yoke of oxen and sent it out and said, This is what your herds and flocks will look like if you don't meet me by such a, such a time to take on the Ammonites. But now let's come over to 1 Samuel 16. 1 Samuel 16. Samuel has traveled to Bethlehem to see the sons of Jesse because God has told him, I'm going to anoint one of those sons of Jesse to replace Saul as king. I have rejected Saul from being king. And there's two reasons for it, and they're given in the chapters, in between chapters 11 and 16. 1 Samuel 16, verse 12. Here comes David into Samuel's presence. Now, he sent, that's Jesse, and brought him in. Here's what it says about David. Now, he was ruddy, and with all of a beautiful countenance, and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. This is what God told Samuel. This is the one I want to be king. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Can we think about those two verses that are next to each other just a moment and realize the danger that we have of having the Holy Spirit removed from us if we grieve or quench Him? He doesn't have to be taken out of you. All He has to do is be quenched or grieved, and you no longer have His comforting ministry nor His power in your life to be joyful, to be loving, to be at peace. 
to keep the commandments, to have resistance against temptation. You'll lose all that. Think about what happened to Saul. Saul starts off as a timid man chasing asses for his father, not trained to be a king. God gives him the Spirit of God, and he becomes a new man. He's able to get up and lead the nation. He faces his first conflict, and the Spirit of God comes on him even more, so that he's very angry, and he fights the Ammonites. Then he sins. Once against the Philistines, Samuel said, Wait seven days, and I will come and pray for the Lord to bless your military expedition. Seven days went, and and Saul said, Well, I can't wait any longer. So he kills a sacrifice himself. And about that time, who walks up? But Samuel, event number one, event number two, I want the Amalekites wiped out, every single one of them, and he didn't do it. That's the passage where it says, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Keep those words in mind. Keep those words in mind. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as the sin of idolatry. So King Saul sins against God on two occasions. And here we have the result. God picks a new king and gives his Holy Spirit to David and takes that Holy Spirit away from Saul and instead gives him an evil spirit. Now what is Saul like? Saul is murderous. He tries to kill David on several occasions. That's the work of the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning. He's a liar from the beginning. Total change in Saul. Because the Holy Spirit was taken from him and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. How did he end his life? Where was he the night before he died in battle? He was with the witch of Endor, practicing witchcraft, asking the witch of Endor to call up the dead prophet Samuel. How can a man go from this position to this position, down to this position, by the power of the Holy Ghost, he's elevated and exalted and made great. And by the lack of the Holy Spirit, he turns murderous and devilish. We've seen them. We've known them. To a certain degree, you've known it in your own hearts at times, maybe. I do. This is the danger. Lord, save us from it. When David prayed in Psalm 51, Take not thy Holy Spirit from me, I want you to know he meant those words more personally, practically, and specifically than maybe you've given them credit for in time past because he had seen that take place in the life of Saul. He didn't want that to happen to him. Look at Isaiah 63. Isaiah 63. Isaiah 63 in verse 10. This is how bad it can get. He can turn to be your enemy. Isaiah 63 and verse 10, this is speaking about Israel. This is not speaking about the Egyptians or the Philistines, but about the Israelites. They rebelled. Don't you rebel against the commandments of God. Don't rebel against your parents. Don't rebel against what the Bible has taught us. But they rebelled and vexed His Holy Spirit. Therefore, He was turned to be their enemy, and He fought against them. Now, we've just read several passages of the Holy Spirit fighting with Gideon. With Othniel, with Samson, with Saul. Now he turns to fight against them 
That is not a good situation. And so there's danger if we play around with the Holy Spirit. How do we play around with the Holy Spirit? We do not keep up a spiritual guard of keeping our lives pure. We do not maintain holiness. We live in carnality. We become hypocrites. We play with the world. We allow unconfessed sin in our lives. That grieves and quenches the Spirit of God, and He will not put up with that forever. And rightly so. God has adopted us as His children. He's given us His presence. He doesn't want to be hauled around. He doesn't want to have to listen to your worldly music. He doesn't want to watch your worldly movies. He doesn't want your worldly friends. All that stuff offends God. And he'll, He will eventually reach the point He'll turn to be your enemy. You will never have strength against sin. You will not have peace. You will not have joy. You'll be a miserable, miserable Christian if you are one. Child of God. Look at Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. This is how serious it is. You say, well, God doesn't do things like that anymore. Well, I wonder why he says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. I wonder why he said that. (coughs) The devil might tell you that Jesus Christ isn't the same yesterday, today, and forever. All I know is that sins against the New Testament are held to greater punishment than sins against the Old Testament. So I'll agree with you that it's not quite the same as it used to be. It's worse. Because when you read the book of Hebrews, it says if the Old Testament transgressions received a just recompense of reward. What are the next words? How much more? How much more? Okay. Then have we settled that little devilish diversion? Look at Acts chapter 5. Who fell down dead in the church service first? Ananias. Who fell down next? Sapphira. And what did the young men that were ushers do that day? Did they collect the offering plates or did they collect the dead bodies? They took them out and dropped them in the cemetery. Ananias and his wife Sapphira, church members of the, of the church at Jerusalem. This was a spirit-filled church. See, spirit-filled churches have bad things happen to sinners. You know, all these little mega churches out there where everybody's happy and they all want to clap hands and they all want to come in flip-flops and hot pants and they want a praise band and a light show so that they can pretend that they're at a rock concert instead of in the house of God. All those little people have no idea about the Spirit of God described in the Bible. The Spirit of God described in the Bible ripped the insides out of two hypocrites so they dropped dead in a church service. Look what it says about their sin. Here's their sin. Acts 5 and verse 3. Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Verse 5 says, Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. They didn't use the praise band that day. Ananias is dead. His wife comes in a little while later, and the same thing happens to her. He lied to the Holy Ghost. He came to church. He came to church on time because the apostles were there. So it was a good meeting time to meet the apostles. He gave a great big gift to the church. I mean, it was a gift big enough that it looked like it matched the sales price of a piece of property. But it wasn't the full price. And so when we come in here and we give him less than our best, we are not doing anything different than Ananias did to the apostles. 
If we come in here and we've played with sin all week, and we try to pretend that we're Christians, we're lying to the Holy Ghost. We're in the assembly of God. This church is the habitation of God through the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2.22. And we come in here and pretend we're something that we're not. We're doing the same thing Ananias did. And this isn't the only place where people fell down dead in church. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 30 says, Many were weak, many were sickly, and many were slept. That doesn't mean they slept during church. It's the ones that slept during church that slept for a long time in the church cemetery. Because they were hypocrites. They abused the Lord's Supper, and so the Lord cut them down. In church, as members. This is how serious it is, and this is what I want to preach about the Holy Spirit of God. He is not an effeminate little white dove that you put on your bumper. He chose the appearance of a dove on one occasion for one purpose. For John the Baptist to know who the Son of God was. He is the Spirit of God that moved upon the face of the waters. He is the Spirit of God that closes out the Bible. He is the Spirit of God that kindles Saul's anger greatly against the Ammonites. He is the same Spirit that the Lord Jesus Christ had without measure which caused him to tear into the Pharisees, the religious hypocrites of his day, the most conservative and fundamentalist sect of the Jews' religion. Jesus tore them up by the Spirit of God. We live in danger if we play around with the Holy Spirit. Look at that passage of Acts 5. In the New Testament church, full of the Holy Ghost, two people came in and did not measure their religion fully, and the Lord cut them down. Look at 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 6. O oh Lord, save us from ever offending your Holy Spirit. We love thee and thank thee that you have given him to us. We need his power and strength in our lives to do right. Hold us back from hypocrisy. Let not any sin have dominion over us and show us our secret sins. And we'll turn from them and confess them to thee and do righteousness. Teach us, O oh Lord God, to do thy will and lead us into the land of uprightness. 1 Corinthians 6. Look at verse 19. What? What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Most teach this verse and corrupt it. Do you know how they teach it? If you smoke a cigarette, you're defiling the temple of the Holy Ghost. Don't you know that the Holy Ghost is in you? And that your body's the temple of the Holy Ghost. And if you smoke a cigarette, you're defiling the temple of the Holy Ghost. Are you kidding me? That is such a corruption of the Word of God. There is no smoking in the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. God couldn't really care less if you smoke a cigarette or not. He thinks it's stupid. How do you know that? Because he'd have turned your two nostrils the other direction so they look like two smokestacks. But he doesn't consider it a sin. But they turn that verse and reduce it to that kind of ridiculousness. How do we avoid offending the Holy Spirit by 1 Corinthians 6.19? Look at the wording. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? There is so much in that verse, and I've preached it all before in a message entitled, Jesus is Lord of your body. One of the first ones you heard, Christina, I still remember. Do you remember? Sorry to put you on the spot. 
1 Corinthians 6, cigarettes. If you drink a can of beer, then you've defiled the temple of the Holy Ghost. Where is that in the Bible? The Holy Ghost, Jesus had him without measure, and he drank wine all the time. Like all the rest of the Jews. John didn't drink wine because he was a Nazarite from his mother's womb. Jesus came drinking wine. He said so himself. That's why he was called a wine-bibber. How many of you heard it this way? Um, you know, everyone in here who's ever been in any other church, they don't know the Bible. They want to take that verse and pound little children that don't you go smoke a cigarette because you'll be defiling the temple of the Holy Ghost. Now listen, children, if your father says you're not to smoke cigarettes, then cigarette smoking is the most stupid thing you've ever heard about. And your father just made it a law for you. Your father made it a law in the eyes of God for you. You can just go ahead and apply these words. Whatsoever is bound on earth by my father is bound in heaven. That I can't smoke because my father said I can't smoke. That's good enough for you. It's another chapter in the Bible. Because God wants you to obey and honor your parents. Now, why did I take all that time? Because I'm sick of corrupting the Word of God. Because now I'm going to tell you that I'm going to get most of you with this verse. First Corinthians 6.19, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? What is the context? Fornication. Fornication. From verse 12 to the end of the chapter. Fornication. Having sex outside of marriage. That's the context. That's defiling the temple of the Holy Ghost. Because the Holy Spirit is in you, and then you crawl into the sack or the back seat of a car or somewhere else with someone else that you don't have a right to be with, and you commit fornication with the Holy Spirit with you. It's a sin against your body. You're taking your body and using it in something sinful, and that body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. That's what 12 through 19 describes. Look at verse 18. Flee fornication. It doesn't say flee lung cancer. It says flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth, he is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Jesus Christ doesn't care what the Surgeon General of the United States says. Listen, if the Surgeon General gave us warnings about everything that he ought to give us warnings, he'd be after you and your daily candy bar. Listen, he'd be telling you not to drink the water that we approve in this country. He'd be telling you a whole lot of things, because that doesn't matter. That isn't defiling the temple of the Holy Ghost. What's defiling the temple of the Holy Ghost is to take this temple, God the Holy Spirit, which ye have of, which is in you. Aren't they, isn't that verse wonderful? The Holy Spirit is in you. You have Him from God as a gift, and you are not your own. God adopted us out of the orphanage, and He put Himself inside us, and He wants us to live worthy of being a son of God. And the issue here is fornication. Now let's see if we can apply it. You are violating the temple of the Holy Ghost directly by an act of fornication. If you mess around with someone of the opposite sex and commit adultery or sodomy or fornication, whether it's premarital sex, casual sex, an affair between two married people, it doesn't matter what you call it or what it is or what, what form of that it is, it's sin against God. It's sin against the temple of the Holy Ghost. And that's the context. But now, can we go further than that? How about viewing those things that offend the Holy Spirit? How about watching movies that have fornication and adultery and other sexual sins in them? Then we're grieving and quenching the Holy Ghost 
by watching something that we shouldn't in movies or television. We listen to music that's about fornication. We have friends that joke about it. We have fantasies and we allow them. We're, every time we do that, the Holy Spirit is still within us and He's grieved. He's grieved. Do you know what happened in Genesis chapter 6 when God was grieved with man? He flooded the earth and drowned everyone. I'm just angry against sin. I want you to have power-filled lives. And you can't play with worldly inputs. Because the Holy Spirit is the enemy of the world. And the world is the enemy of the Holy Spirit. If you're a friend of the world, you're the enemy of God. James 4.4 What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. What's the price? The precious blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore... Since we are not our own, since we've been bought with a price, since the Holy Ghost is in us, since that is a gift from God, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Glorify God in your body. So there we have the act of fornication. Glorify God in your spirit. There we have fantasies about it, watching it, listening to it, hearing about it, and hanging around the people that do it. No wonder you have a powerless life. No wonder there's no blessing in your life. No wonder the Lord's blowing against you. No wonder the Lord's tearing things up in your life. You want things to work better? Then cut out those worldly inputs and make them spiritual inputs and please the Spirit of God and be filled with the Spirit of God and your life will change. This is the danger. The danger is great for us to mess around with something this drastically serious. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Is it as hot down there as it is up here? I'm sorry. We'll get that remedied. Next week, bring your coats. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Look at this little four-word verse, 19. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19. Quench not the Spirit. Quench not the Spirit. Quench, when it's used in a context like this, means don't put the fire out. The Holy Spirit is being compared here to a fire. Quench, not the Spirit. Four words. We're not even told how not to do it. Because the rest of the Bible tells, not, tell us, tells us how not to do it. Do you know how we avoid quenching the Spirit? We walk after the Spirit instead of after the flesh. If you walk after the flesh, you're at war against the Spirit. If we live in the flesh, Paul would reason in Galatians chapter 5, let us also walk in the Spirit. That is to do the things that the Spirit of God loves. What does he love? That's why we have the list of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, temperance. He loves those nine things. And so we are to choose to do those nine things. And that little list of nine ends up with what words? And against such, there is no law. You know what? Isn't that exciting? There's a list of things you can do day and night. You can do them without your parents' permission. You can do them all the time. You can do them double time. Your dad will give you a raise in your allowance if you do them double time. You know what I mean when I... Against such there is no law. There was another list just given of all the things of our flesh. Fornication, adultery, lasciviousness, anger, wrath, seditions, heresy, drunkenness is all listed there in Galatians chapter 5. And against those things, there's a whole lot of laws. And those laws were written by the Holy Spirit. You want to avoid quenching the Spirit? Then you do the things that the Spirit approves of. 
And you do a lot of them. And you do them with zeal. And you avoid the things the Spirit hates. Quench not the Spirit. One little phrase. It took me two sermons to preach that to you, I think, in 2002. Look at the next verse. I think they go together. I don't think the Holy Spirit was just throwing out random thoughts. Despise not prophesyings. Do you know what that is? I get tired of preaching. All they do is preach at our church. Well, this verse is for you. Despise not prophesyings. You like the praise band? The Holy Spirit isn't in churches with praise bands. The Holy Spirit is in churches with preaching because that's what New Testament churches are to have. What's, what's the order of a New Testament church service or the emphasis? 2 Timothy chapter 4. Preach the word. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but they will heap to themselves praise bands. But you be instant in season and out of season. Preach the word. That's why it says right here, despise not prophesying. Don't get upset and don't resent preaching. That's what prophesying is. This isn't somebody telling you the future for your life. This ain't a palm reader. Palm readers are witches that all ought to be killed. Every palm reader in the United States should be killed. Turn into fertilizer. This is preaching. When you prophesy in the Bible, you reveal the will of God. Preachers reveal the will of God from His Word and don't despise it. And it's put there right in context. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. This, there is danger. The danger is great. This wonderful gift God's given us of the Holy Spirit, we can quench Him and then we can grieve Him. When God was grieved, He drowned the earth with a flood. God was grieved with Saul. Do you know, do you know that Saul had the best prayer warrior that, that, one of the five? Did Saul have a prayer warrior that prayed and prayed and prayed for him? What was his name? Samuel. Would God answer that prayer? No. I have a new king. I have a better man. We do not want that to happen. Anything like that to us. Ephesians 4.30, it says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Don't grieve them. Quench is to take the heat and light of a fire and reduce it. So when you've got the heat and light, the power and the comfort and the illumination of the Spirit of God in your life, and you sin, you quench, you reduce that heat and life. Here, it's more personal. Because you quench a fire or you quench a light, but this is grieve. And you do that to a person, you can't grieve a fire and you can't grieve a light. But you can grieve a person. Grieve not... The Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of our re- your redemption. The Holy Spirit is the seal that we are the children of God. He testifies it inside, and we show it outside by a changed life. Don't grieve Him. Because when you grieve the God of heaven, you're going to suffer for it. And this isn't... This is to cause us to rejoice with trembling. That we have a great gift. We shouldn't abuse it. And we abuse it when we play with the world. Look at the context here. I just want, I'll just get verse, let's get 29 and 31. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Because you saying corrupt things with the Holy Spirit of God inside you, what an offense. The Holy Spirit of God's temple is saying corrupt things. What grief. Look at verse 31. Let all bitterness 
and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind. And it goes on to describe what real kindness is. And right in the middle, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. We grieve the Holy Spirit of God when we're bitter against someone else. The worst thing that anyone has ever done to you is only 100 pence in value. Do you know that? A hundred pennies. Do you know what you've done against him? Ten thousand talents. So we're supposed to get rid of all bitterness because when we're bitter against other people who haven't offended us as much as we've offended the Spirit of God, he's grieved. If it's the Holy Spirit that prays for us according to the will of God and with groanings which cannot be uttered, and we ever allow worldliness or worldly inputs to grieve or quench the Holy Spirit, no wonder our prayers don't make it past the ceiling. If it's the Holy Spirit of God that gives us assurance of eternal life, He is the one that cries out, Abba, Father, inside us. That's the assurance of eternal life. And some people don't have assurance. The equation's very simple. They have worldly inputs coming in that quench and grieve the Spirit. If you have made your input spiritual into your life, and you're keeping the world at a distance you'll be full of the assurance of eternal life because God, the Holy Spirit, will shed abroad the love of God in your heart. You'll know you're a child of God. The Holy Spirit is holy. Is that why He's called the Holy Spirit? Guess how you better be living not to grieve or quench that Spirit. You better be living a holy life. What kind of scriptures are these called? The Holy Scriptures, inspired by the Holy Spirit, We better be keeping them because this is the definition of holiness. All of you parents, a prayer request was made for all you young parents today. And we had a prayer for you young parents. Do you want to really do something for your family? For your marriage, for your soul, for your family, for your children? Then be filled with the Spirit. How are you filled with the Spirit? God is waiting to fill you. To be filled with the Spirit is an active part, on, is an action on your part to let God fill you. Be filled. That's passive because God's the one that does the filling. But it's a choice you make to be filled with the Spirit. How do you do that? You live righteously. You hate the world and keep its inputs out of your life. You make your inputs the spiritual things of the Word of God, fellowship of His saints. You pray and read your Bible every day, and you ask the Lord to fill you. He will fill you with the Holy Spirit of God. It is not mysterious, and it is not difficult. All it means is, you need to be holy. Then God will bless you. And you as young parents, you will have a home that is different from every other home. You cannot, while there are child training rules that can be taught from the Bible... And while experience will lend some help from older parents that can tell you what they did that was wrong, that still does not change a child's heart. God the Holy Spirit can change a child's heart. You will not be able to fake the love in your home that you want your children to learn without the power of the Holy Spirit. You will not have the joy in your home that your children need to believe in Christianity without the power of the Holy Spirit. It is spirit-filled Christians that would make great families and great marriages and have great children and make great churches. And whenever we see that not happening, the Holy Spirit was not emphasized and exalted and protected in that home. Television was allowed in too much. Music was allowed in too much. The wrong friends were allowed in to the lives of the children. The parents did not have a spirit-filled marriage. 
Lord, have mercy upon us and help us. He can send leanness into your soul. You offend the Holy Spirit of God. He may not leave you like he did Saul in an evil spirit from the Lord. But you know what? He can send leanness into your soul. And that's a terrible thing. To have your heart's desire in some carnal pursuit, but to have leanness in your soul. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Ghost. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Aren't those wonderful verses that we heard today? The choice is ours. You can be like David, Othniel, Caleb, Gideon, uh, Moses, and others that did great exploits because they had the Spirit of God with them. You can have the Spirit of God illuminate your heart and soul with wisdom like David prayed. Thy Spirit is good. You can have the Holy Spirit fill you with the love of Christ until you know it experimentally, till you're filled with all the fullness of God. You can be so full of joy and gladness, nothing would be able to move you by the power of the Holy Spirit. You grieve Him or quench Him, we lose all that. The danger is great. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, for they are God's. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.